out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be this turn of the singer-songwriter and one-time member of the Sheffield indie band, The Bowl Weevils, because I recently spoke to Sarah Griffiths recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Now in a me- her now is a member of the band called Duck. Indeed she is. And also has been in a lot of other musical combos. But you'll find out more about that during this long interview. So sit back, relax and enjoy. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Sarah, it's over to you. My mum was really, really into pop music, like really into music. Um, So she always had like Radio 1 on, it was all like pop music. She she sort of kept up with everything. Um, Right till right till up to up to her, um, till the end actually. I mean, she loved her pop music, um, so that was a big thing. There was always music in the house. Um, I love singing. We, me and my sister played like classical instruments. Right. I played viola. She played violin. She was an absolutely brilliant classical guitarist. Um, so yeah, it was all very musical. We were in like orchestras and, and choirs and stuff. There was all that because um, Sheffield was brilliant at that point because we were from a very very working class um, background as well but there was like a free service in Sheffield where if you showed some aptitude at school you were given an instrument for free and you got free music lessons in school on that mm. instrument good from, me we, um, just had, we just had a triangle and that was yeah. it all we had was a triangle that that sometimes you could be given to play but if you messed it up that was the, end yeah. of the, the time with the triangle it was just gone it was just taken away so yeah I mean, that, that's gone now obviously that went by the wayside but yes I think I think, I think Gary um, tried to sort of get that um, with one of those elections with David Cameron he was going to give kids lots of music lessons and probably teach them as well dear old Gary so many promises we had then but yeah so you're <laughs> yes that was definitely a progressive period then because we just yeah like I said we didn't yeah music wasn't really a big thing in playing music because unfortunately I was not one because I get asked oh well you were in a band it's like we didn't really have bands in the countryside mm. we played football and just climbed trees and ran around in <laughs> rubber boots really so yeah <laughs> I yeah. mean we, we did that we did that as well um <laughs> I, I think but I think the the sort of the first band <laughs> for putting together never played a note together but we had like the name and the look you know we were about 12. God that's there very was, cool. Me and my, we never knew play anything. No. <laughs> we literally like ripped up some sheets and and dyed them and they were our they were our costumes um so what but, you was know the, so what it was, was some, the first single you bought then did you did you go sort of uh, manage to sort of save 69p with think, my own yeah basically with, my with, I can't remember whether it was 17 by the regents or Einstein a go-go by a landscape it was <laughs> it was one of the two and they, and it was from Fred Hartley's on our shops in Freshville in Sheffield and they were ex jukebox so it probably had just fallen out of the charts and the jukeboxes would restock nice. and then that old stock would, would go to this DIY store um, and they all came without the middles because oh, they'd yeah. be next jukebox. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so, so frustrating. It was one of those. One of those two was the very first one that I bought, like with my own, with my own pocket money. Yes. So, did you have an older brother or sister who was also? I had, 
intermediate? Yeah, uh, older older sister, year older than me, um, and the older brothers and sisters of friends were a big influence. Yes. We, we always looked up to those people because I had an older brother, I had two, but one especially, I was very, I thought he was wonderful. He was seven years older than me and he turned me on to all the great music of that period. Yeah, no, he didn't. It was Yes, Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Batley James right. and the solo work of Rick Wakeman. So I've got a bit of a prog world going on. There was a little part of my right. past which I'm just very surprisingly into that world which is a bit strange but yes prog prog thank god he didn't want to be i didn't really have a prog i didn't have a prog phase oh um, you didn't miss much it was terrible i, I had a I, I was <laughs> um i was sort of into like punk um which then turned into goth yeah <laughs> which, which then turned into sort of jangly indie stuff so we didn't have punk at all in the countryside. We had status quo. That was the main band that you couldn't... Well, we had those as well. We couldn't say anything <laughs> against the quo because you'd get beaten up. So I remember <laughs> we, you couldn't even pretend to like that sort of that revival of two-tone with the bands like The Beat or The Specials because... Oh, that, that, I, I remember that as being an, an amazing time because I'd be about nine or ten and um like madness and the specials all that scarce stuff all that two-tone stuff was was just absolutely brilliant um i can remember being dressed up as a little cat on halloween when we had a halloween party at school and all we had was was a was a copy of uh we had the single of baggy trousers madness and we just and we just basically played that over and over and over again and the teacher was like if you don't all stop dancing like that I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn that off, you know, because we're all doing all the like the mad, yes. the madness dance. It was, it was just, yeah, it was brilliant. It would, yeah, I could, and I remember the video was, yes, we'd have got it. So you were then, so were you born sort of the early seventies? You're sort of. I was nineteen seventy. Right there, you go. So when the band started, you're, you know, oh right, so the early seventies, you weren't one of those kind of people who were back like yeah like a lot of indie kids who are about 16 17 and were feeling like oh my god I'm just going to be unemployed you were all you were just kind of basically a teenager a very young teenager during that period during the, during the 80s yeah I mean it did it did come into play obviously um you know I, I was I was a young teenager through you know through through that period yeah I remember it well because it was the only time my dad had ever been out of work um you know it was it affected affected everybody yes oh was was it a coal mining or steel industries that your dad was in um Sheffield's like um yeah uh steel industry town but no he wasn't he wasn't involved in that it was just the climate at the time I mean yeah it was horrendous yes Thatcher's Thatcher's I mean Thatcher got in (laughs) in 79 we had the Falkland crisis and then there's the miners strike and then you had Green and Common and then yeah. a bit further along, you had things like the Battle of the Beanfield with all the, the travellers and, and all that kind of world. And a narco-punk started. So, yeah, it was, it was quite grim. But there was a lot of indie bands started during that period because you could claim yeah. unemployment really easily. And also there was something called Job Seekers Allowance, where if you had a £1,000 mysteriously in your bank account, you could... You could, you could <laughs> For two of, minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so go, oh, OK, we'll be on this scheme. And you could pretend to be a self-employed, that is exactly what I did. That's oh, did exactly you? what I did. I went on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme when I was oh, just late teens, I guess, as as the bowl weevils. As the bowl. <laughs> oh, yes, that was a, a bit more money every week. Um, 
so I, I did that for a year I think um so yeah. were you, so were the bowl weevils your first band or had you been no. already yeah so what was your first band before them very first band was called the reptile house I was 14 and there were a couple of lads in the neighborhood that had a band and they were looking for a singer so I just I just turned up I thought this is what I really want to do I didn't want to do the classical stuff anymore I wanted to be in a band that's where my passion was um and it was the first time I sung through a microphone through, through a PA um and yeah I loved it <laughs> it just happened and, and, bit, and they were all sort of going oh you sound like Susie and I was like you know yes <laughs> when you fall seen that's what you want to hear um and it just sort of went from there then my sister joined that band as well um yeah it was good fun so played a played a couple of first first gig was at a youth club we all we all uh, bumped off school to play this afternoon yes. <laughs> afternoon gig at a local youth club like the drum was like 13 <laughs> My God, yeah. that's that's just child labour, isn't it? That's amazing. <laughs> well, I don't think we were ever, yeah paid. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very yeah. We wanted and what, to do and it, what, what was the chef? I mean, what was your first gig you went to? My first ever gig was Kajagoogoo at Sheffield City Hall. <laughs> Excellent, too shy. Um, that that was the very first gig I ever went to. I was about twelve. And oh. I screamed the entire way through it. Wow. Uh, I was just, hysteria. yeah, that's a mass hysteria. Yeah. But it, what's funny is actually, no, it wasn't Kajagoogoo because I was looking at your podcasts and I saw that you had interviewed someone from H2O. Yes, just the other day. Now, H2O was the part in them. <laughs> <laughs> so in actual fact, H2O was the first band I ever saw on that oh, concert. See, look, he's he's just brought out a single on Alan McGee's right. in Donaldson. Yes. Right. So, yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't going to mention that because I thought that's so obscure. But, yeah, he suddenly said, you know, he was talking about the early musical period of that band because they were quite slick and they got on a record label and I listened yeah. to them. Oh yeah, that's very cool. No, I didn't. It's I like, thought it was it was I nice. Dream to Sleep, I think, was their was their hit, wasn't it? I think. God, you've got an amazing memory. That's 40 years ago. And um <laughs> but I didn't I didn't actually know them. And um he said, Yeah, we supported Catch a Goopy. And I was like, wow. Yeah, I was there, man. At City Hall, Sheffield. Yes, because yeah. he had been in a little punk band with Alan in McGee, and then they obviously from there Oh, is yeah. that right? Yeah, so that's the Alan, you know, they were from Glasgow and well he was from yeah. Glasgow. And then they were in this band. And then, you know, and then a few months ago I did an interview with a member of the Farmers Boys who were the local legends in this area. Yeah, I remember them, yeah. And um they signed to EMI Records on the same day as Kachagoogoo. And I was thinking, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is so much pop trivia, I can't cope. And he said it was a bit strange because they looked like, you know, farmer's boys and Kachagoogoo definitely didn't look like them at all. <laughs> they didn't know what a pick, pitchfork was or, yeah, what a piglet even looked like properly. Yeah, so there you go. That was your first band. God, I know, the first band is always the most exciting. In the well, life. I didn't, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't even that into Kachagoogoo, but I was allowed to go. I think yeah. I only knew, like, the singles, the two or three singles. Um, um, but I was allowed to go with my sister and a friend. Um, I'd been pestering. I mean, I, I wanted to go and see, you know, Culture Club, Adam and the Ants, Dran Dran. This is the first one I'd been allowed to go to. So that was why I ended up there. Um, and it was just so exciting. And yeah, even though I didn't really, like I didn't really know much of much of their stuff, but 
um yeah it was just really exciting and I did that you know screamed completely cliched thing of just screaming my head off through the entire thing which is impressive because apart from too shy I have and I probably do look on Spotify at these things just to sort of you know it's like no I have no idea what their second single (laughs) was but obviously I know the bass player is you know held up in great sort of critical esteem as being fantastic Nick somebody but Nick um, Beggs right yes he he I remember yeah no it's cool so then (laughs) Because for me, you know, there was that kind of the punk period, which totally missed me, the post-punk period, which is kind of a bit difficult. You know, there was like, you know, Gang of Four magazine, Public Image Limited, you know, kind of scratchy kind of sound, which was all very sort of intense. And then the early indie world that was kind of Simple Minds, U2, and I don't know, Echo and the Bunny Men, Julian Cope. And then for me, 83, it was the year of the Smiths and suddenly everything oh, was yes. so different. Oh, so I was years, totally, totally in love with the Smiths at that yes. point. So we had this kind of five-year glorious period of, of indie pop. Yeah. And suddenly there was all these other bands like the June Brides and the Go-Betweens, the Triffids, the Chills. I mean, it just was like, yeah, yeah, yeah no... Except I won't go through them. It's quite, it's quite, <laughs> so reel them, reel them all off. Reel them all off. As well as people like Stump, <laughs> Big Flame and Bogshed, who were very exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those. It was all kind of fantastic. So you're, so did, so when the Bowie Wall started, was this kind of 85 period? No, I joined, um, must have been 88. I think I was 17. Right. Um, the Bull Weevils had already been going a few years because the Bull Weevils were essentially Mark Johnson, who went on to play the, the guitarist, yes. and Ray Russell, who was the lyricist and also managed us for a while. Um, so th- they were the Bull Weevils. They used to write songs in um, in their halls at, at uni. Right. And what what happened? What happened was. Um, my band and Steve McKevitt's band were both rehearsing at the same place and we both broke up around the same time, um, our bands. And um, Steve was trying to get something going with me and my sister, but despite the fact that she was an amazing musician, amazing bass player, amazing classical guitarist, she couldn't play rhythm guitar, we just couldn't, <laughs> just couldn't transfer the skills. So, so we ended up looking into something else. At one point, I remember Steve coming around to my mum and dad's house when I had tonsillitis and he, and he came round <laughs> with a tape saying oh the guy from the Bodines has written these songs shall we form a band with with him god can you remember which member i haven't got a clue um it was a long time ago <laughs> yes i know this is yeah, i know this is like some sort of <laughs> quiz isn't it really so yes yeah. my god this is very exciting yeah because i well, think and then yeah. No, but but then like but then he he knew that Mark and Ray um, were writing songs and they were kind of good. They put a tape out and stuff, and and uh, and we were saying we should get together with them, um, form a band. And you said that's we a did. great idea. So then you oh, yeah. when did you have your first your first rehearsal was like eighty seven eighty eight time, around that time yeah. Um, and we used to practice in Mark's. Um, bedroom in his student house um and, and I had no nothing to do with students in Sheffield up until up until that point you know my only experience of student life was the young ones and it wasn't that far off to, no to I mean, it was <laughs> but, like but that, um it? they were they were you know 
they Corn were flakes from and water, early. really, wasn't it? It was a diet of cornflake <laughs> well, water. Yeah, Everyone smoked as they well. Were also, they were also from quite middle class backgrounds as well. And I'd never really met anybody like that before. And, and they'd never really met anyone like me before. So because they didn't really students and the locals didn't. They never really do. Mix. They don't. Do they? <laughs> they don't like each other. They so don't. it was an eye opener for all of us, really, I think. And were they keen to have a, a, a sort of female fronted women or, um, singer? You know, was there a kind of a plan? Was it like, actually, no one else can sing and you can. So let's 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 not beat around the bush. No, well, um, I think there was some resistance from Mark at the beginning because he's got a really good voice and he sang all he sang all their songs. Um, and then we, we sort of just came round to it sounded good when we played together. So we just got on with that. Um, some point along the way, me and Mark became a couple and uh, started writing the songs together. And um, Ray, who'd been writing the lyrics, then took more of a managerial role um, in the band. And um, where, where he works, he used to like use a photocopy to print off loads of flyers and posters and stuff. Um, Sorry, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes, no, this is the early the early period of the band. And did you, I mean, at that stage, it's kind of interesting. I mean, being young is just fantastic because you've still got that kind of youth, youthful enthusiasm stroke and with naivety, which is really important. But um, because it's kind of an interesting period because, I mean, it's, a, it's probably not this simplistic, but I know when the Smiths broke up in 87, it felt like, wow, that's a moment. And then there's the whole kind of ecstasy world that starts to appear. And then the next wave of bands mm. that that are sort of happening, I suppose, are people like the Primals, you know, Primal Scream, the Stone Roses, Happy Monday. So you get all this kind of dance groove and then you get people like the Orb start, you know, doing their ambient yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was just a massive change, wasn't it? And It you was know, a bit of a change. Yeah, the, the cliche was, wasn't it? Well, there's always been a dance element to our music. Yeah, <laughs> that was no, the mysteriously, yeah, the Soup Dragons managed <laughs> yeah. to do that one so well. well. Yeah, frankly, you couldn't have you couldn't have seen it in their two minute little jingly songs, could you? But they did, no, they did no. hit sort of the part. So, did it feel with the band? I mean, was it quite a serious kind of idea at the time? Because that's the one thing I've noticed doing these interviews that everyone took it pretty seriously it wasn't like oh we're not that bothered you know it was like god real commitment did it did it have a feeling that the band were on a mission no we weren't on a mission um yeah i we just really enjoyed it you know and i think i think steve was was the one with any kind of um ambition in terms of I'm putting doing air quotes now if you're listening at home. Yes. Success. <laughs> Success. Um, but I mean, we, you know, we wanted to take it as far as we could, obviously. Um, but it wasn't like we were, you know, priming ourselves to be pop stars or anything. You know? yeah. Because your first single you release is called Talk To Me, isn't it? I think that's right. That's right. Decoy, which is a classic. It was a fantastic indie song, isn't it? Can you remember much about how that came together? Um, it was written by by Ray and Mark. Ray wrote the lyrics, um, and it was just it was just a really strong song from that first set of songs that we had. Yes, um, we recorded it, it in a little great. studio. In Sh- I, I listened to it. I did listen to it the other day actually. I, um, and I and I just thought it sounds all right. This. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel, I, you know, I, you know, they're all, you know, from, 
it cheers me up considerably unreasonable worlds apart out of time. I mean, they all, they all got a quality to them, but I think Talk To Me is just a stunning song, actually. It's, it's one that you can play endlessly, isn't it? It did. I mean, oh, that's you... so good. I, mean you, I wish you'd chosen one that I'd written, obviously, but <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> Ray and Mark would, would love to hear that. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I mean, I mean, they're all good. I mean, um, but I, can, I just know that one does kind of, oh, actually, this is, yeah, you never know, do you? So it's, it's a good one. So when you, can you remember going into the studio and recording that? Yeah, yeah, I think we did it in um, Jump Studios in Sheffield, which was housed in a kind of falling down ex-industrial sort of building um, with an outside toilet, um, which didn't suit me well at all. I used to go up to the pub. Um, yes, well, <laughs> and, standard and um you're just not you're not catered for <laughs> in these places um with a guy called tomo who was a really sound bloke i don't know what he's doing now um and it was really cheap i think it was like a few hundred quid um and we did it it, it seemed to be like trouble free it seemed to just like flow you know yes i was very very self-conscious i think at that point i actually made them turn my voice off in the control room so they couldn't hear me while i was recording <laughs> Yeah, because I was just so. I think I think, I think Jimmy Jimmy Hendrix was also very you know shy with his vocals. So I think you're in good company. I think well, I'm in good company. <laughs> you're in very good company, but you also you got a record deal quite quickly as well. Um, Decoy Records relatively quickly, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I was so young, and you just thought, well, this is what happens, isn't it, when you're in a band. You get a record deal, you get written about in Enemy yeah. <laughs> and Melody Makers. If it's just, you know, it does just happen. It, well, um, it's, well, it's quite interesting because you do have, I mean, at that stage, there were these kind of fantastic gatekeepers that we just took for granted, but, you know, three weekly music papers with huge circulation. Yeah. You know, John Peel's show, which just again had a fantastic reach. And, you know, the, you know it was quite a critical mass of people who listened to it. You know, oh, definitely. I mean, I have so much, sorry, so many memories of like me and my sister in our bedroom and, you know, waiting with the tape player to take yes. stuff off John, off John Peel. You know, that's what you did. I know. <laughs> so, it was, so it was actually hugely exciting when we ended up on the show. Um, that was probably like. You'd made it. You'd gone the to high point. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, getting a John Peel session is is kind of everything. We didn't and get all... a session. No, we never got a session. Oh no, he gave you a play. I know. Yeah, he played us. He played us a couple of times. Um, he never gave us a session though, which is obviously unfortunate because we could have bought the arse off everybody with it for the next thirty years. Yes, <laughs> you could have. You could have yeah. I've met so many people who were, you know, kind of used that as a personality trait. It's quite. <laughs> Yeah, put it on your LinkedIn. Yes, oh, John Parsons would have been just everything. I know, it's such a shame. He should have done, really. I mean, did you, um, yeah, because with Sheffield, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, Cherry Red Records has put out a, I don't know, was it a three or five CD box set of music from that period, you know, from from your, your area, which, did it feel like Sheffield had a very sort of vibrant music scene? I say that because Norwich, I found, was a little bit dull. Well, funny enough, Mark, Mark was from Norwich. Mark's from Norwich originally. Was he? Um, yeah. My God. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I would never I saw it, so That's how I came to know the Farmer's Boys as well, because oh, that was a big right, deal, cause, obviously. Cause, well, we had the Farmer's Boys, Sirius Drink and the Higsons, the latter two, yeah. you know, to be honest. 
they're fine, but you know, they're not amazing. And you know, there's a few other little quirky bands that, you know, we're nothing, you know, we're good. You know, I don't want to knock it because you know, I was never in a band, but you know, it didn't have that wow, Cherry Red Records has brought out this, you know, five CD box set of Norwich bands. I think they would struggle. But you know, obviously Sheffield <laughs> has got quite a you know heritage of bands, haven't they? Yeah, um, definitely. I don't, there seemed to be loads of bands about at that, at that point, and loads of really good bands, and who were all quite different as well. Um, and what? And did you see Pulp in that period? Do you know what I didn't? I know Mark and Ray saw them, um, like really, really early on. Um, I don't think I ever saw them. <laughs> Yes, well, which I'm is, just which is ridiculous, to, isn't it? It's you like, you, you had people like, things. obviously, Heaven Seventeen, but then there was just loads of, I don't know, massive amount of bands which were just, you know, quite groovy. From the the what's it, the Prams, AC Temple. Well, know. I was going to say, say AC Temple because they were brilliant, and, and I had, think they were on like Blast First and stuff. So they were like, um, they were really cool. I would have loved to have been in that circle. <laughs> But, yeah. What um, about the what but, about Tree Bound Story or um, bands like that? Tree Bound Story. Well, we did. I think we played with Tree Bound Story. Was that Richard? Was that Richard Hawley's? Possibly. Richard Hawley was in Tree Bound I Story, think, wasn't he? Yeah. I think and One Thousand Violins was also one of the bands on that compilation. I remember the name. I can't remember anything about them. Yes. So there, there were a lot of bands about. There were a lot of. Um, there weren't a lot of women in bands. No, there wasn't. Was a bit there? Of not a tea. Which is a bit, which is a bit strange, because the eighties did sort of the indie scene did help to sort of, I don't know, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it redre- redressed the balance, but there were much more, you know, like from people, I don't know, I'm going to stumble now, aren't I? From everything but the <laughs> <Yeah>. girl, <laughs> but everything but the girl, the Sundays was there, weren't they? Um, there was oh, there, like, were, there were plenty of there were plenty oh, of um, female voices. Um, yes, certainly, but you know, you're always going to be held in. Uh, to different standards than the guys in the band. I know it's a it's a very unfair world, isn't it? It is terrible. But um, yeah, I know. God, you up a uh, yeah. It's a it's a terrible yeah. God, it was a difficult. You know, when period. you're like really really young as well. I mean, like they were my I suppose formative years as much as anything. They're sort of my late teens, and and reviewers were so mean then. I know. They, 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 they so must, they must mean. Cring, they must cringe at some of their reviews now when they. Well, I hope um, so. They, yeah, because I mean, it's not it's not good, is it? And some of the comments, because you did have, I suppose, the primitives and darling buds as well. But obviously, it then that then becomes a bit of a cliche as well, doesn't it? So, um, well, yeah, I mean, I I had blonde, I had bleached blonde hair, and suddenly it's like, oh, you know, this blonde thing. Um, so I I dyed it, and uh, we weren't lumped in with them so much anymore. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a really odd thing. It's like there's only so much. There's only so much room. Um, there's only so so many women you can have at one time. <laughs> yeah, um, it would just doing be... anything in music, and you will you will get compared to each other. Um, you know, quite often, quite cruelly, and you know, it yeah, it's it's not good. I would imagine could could do hell to your personal esteem and confidence, really. Definitely, yeah. I know it's a tricky. I got, I think being on stage must be quite an odd feeling as well. But you know, yes, in in that context, at that period, it must have also been a bit more tricky. So when you had the the, the sort of hopeful the success of your first single, what was it like, sort of, with your follow up with um, 
yes, the next, the next one, which was going to be Life's a Scream, which is also, was this on Decoy again or was this not on Decoy? I think that, I th- yeah, I think it was Decoy. I wasn't certainly put the money up for it. Um, yeah, it was kind of torturous. <laughs> oh, that's um, a bit. That's in... a bit early days to be torturous. That's normally a bit long. <laughs> I know, I know, but it, but it was. Um, we, what we should have done, I think, is just gone back to the same studio and banged out another good EP. Yes. Um, but you always you always have that. It's always like Karen Stixing. You always want to go to the next thing. You know, you want to. Oh, it's got. It's got to be better. And being better means chucking more money at it or being somewhere with more equipment. And that's just not always the, always the case, as I've learned since. Um, we had St- Stephen Singleton. From ABC. Board, uh, from ABC, who, you know, I adored ABC. Alexis Kind of Love was like a massive album in, in my house. Um, so I was really, really pleased about that. And he was supportive for, for lots of years, actually. But because um, we were originally going to have Bob Mould. But well, we wanted Bob Mould. Oh God, I loved Huskadoo. I know. And I loved his solo stuff. Um, no, workshop. That, that was a really big deal. Uh, but that kind of went by the wayside. But anyway, we got, we got Steve at that point. Um, we got Stephen in and booked Fon Studios in Sheffield, um, which was nothing like anything any of us had ever seen. Um, proper, so much money in that studio um loads of new toys it was it was really it was you know um I found it very intimidating yes (laughs) it was so it was so bizarre I mean so I went to to the kitchen one day and boy George is in there like toasting a mushroom and I'm like what is what what the hell's going on I I don't really belong here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I know um, it's quite tricky to know what to say to a famous pop star toasting the mushroom isn't it god I think you just went all right <laughs> all right yes. just sort of walked out again um felt very um, uncomfortable in that in that in those sort of surroundings but and were you I mean at that stage because there were I mean there were also other bands that had been starting to really come together I suppose that you had that sort of North London scene didn't you with people like uh, My Bloody Valentine and Silverfish and the Faith Healers and the Sundays that appeared in sort of the late 80s as well which is kind of yeah you know there was still a quite a nice kind of vibe going around did you I mean and then sort of a few years later there were people like Carter the Unstoppable Sex Sex Machine headlining Glastonbury which was fantastic in a kind of bizarre way they went from you know, little indie clubs to suddenly Glastonbury. Did you, I mean, at that stage, were you still kind of enjoying being in the band? I mean, was this something that was kind of a full-time kind of emotional commitment for you? Well, well, yeah, it was. I, I, I mean, it, yeah, it's really difficult to explain. I think the point I should have just left is the point where our drummer was fired from the studio when we were recording the lives of Scream EP. Um, you know, and, I, and I've, I've learned since, if something doesn't feel right, you know, you have, to, you have to walk away from it. But at that point, there were so many factors, like, we were, you know, we were still at a record contract, something to make an EP. But I, I believe Steve talked about that on his thing anyway. Yeah, um, I can't, yes, to be honest, I can't have no, no recollection of... Well, of, of course, <laughs> you, you wouldn't... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's all a bit of a blur, actually. But yeah, okay. Well, like, so was that Chris Coyle who got who? Yes. Right. Yeah, he, he, he so he was a drummer. He's a really good drummer. Um, My God, he got the red lad. card. So did you get another man? Yeah, but he couldn't. Another... He couldn't play to a click track. Oh, the click track. Oh God. And, and so it's like, do we even do we even need a click track? You know, yes. but they got all these new toys and like this automated desk and stuff, and you had to have a click track then. Um, and it kind of got a bit ridiculous. You couldn't play to it, so we got someone else in. Um, really great drummer called Caroline Bowden. Um, but but you know, it wasn't us. It wasn't what I the sort of thing I wanted to be doing at that point. I don't think. Yes. Well, I but you hang on in there, don't you? <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? Um, you thought, if only, if only we'd said, had a proper <laughs> thought. But then it was still kind of early days of the band and it still had, it did seem to have some magic and potential. It did, didn't, I mean, was that the kind of hope that you would get through that that moment and it would then like, was was that new member going to be part of the band or was it just for the studio? No, no, she, well, I, th- I think someone asked her and she said, no, she'd got other stuff to do. Um so yeah I, I i can't remember how long there was between <laughs> these things happening you know um but we did eventually get another drummer called pete um anyway i felt very very bad about what happened to chris yeah and you know i wish i hadn't been a 19 year old trying to please everyone yeah, <laughs> and no. i wish i'd gone do you know what sub this <laughs> I'm off. Yeah, well, God, when you watch that uh, the the wedding present film, you're, you're, there's an awful lot about the click track, and also the one on, you know, um, Patty Sh- 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 my Patty Shemmel. Shemmel. Yeah. If you watch that, um, I've seen I've seen that actually. I have seen that. She hits so hard. It's all about the click track mm. and and the way they sort of broke her, literally emotionally broke her to pieces. It happened to lots. It must have happened to a lot of people. Yes, simultaneously around <laughs> around those sort of early nineties. Well, with the um, with the with the go betweens, that was even worse because they were a couple, you know, Robert and uh, Lindy. Yeah. And uh, the producer said, "Look, we can have it like this without Lindy drumming, and you'll have a really great song, and it will, you know, hit you know album. Or we could have you know Lindy in it, and it won't be very good. It's your choice." And I think he went, "You know what? I'll go with the producer rather than my partner at the time." It's like. Yes, that's didn't, horrible. Didn't. That is horrible, and and it's a cruel you know, I was never time. like that. Yeah. Never like that, and neither neither was Mark, and um, wasn't a fan of the of the industry per se. I mean, the, the whole the whole business side of things was just to me at that point. Obviously, I was a child, um, very scary and um, impenetrable. Um, to be honest, I just wanted to sing in a band, you know. Um, with even the tiniest little bit of success comes all that bollocks along with it, unfortunately. Yes, and it is quite <laughs> tricky. So then, as we get into the, the the John Major years, what happens with the band for the next year? Because do you then go back to the studio and do this record and mouth and then bring out the album Life's a Scream? Is that, or was Life a Scream something that happens when the band has just about had it? Well, we, we had to have it remixed for a start. Alan Scott came and remixed it and made it sound better because it, it didn't sound how he wanted it to sound. Um, Steve was, was really good. Steve uh, Singleton was really good. Don't, don't get me wrong, had loads of great ideas, but it wasn't how he wanted it to turn out. So 
um, I think the record company got Alan Scott to come and remix it, and it did it did sound better um, after that. And I'm just trying to think. So so we'd have got Pete in on drums, and then uh, we got management, <laughs> which yeah. really really put the. Uh, Yes, finding a manager. Yeah. How do you go around? Because it's not something that people go to college or get some good habits from somebody else. Managers are quite odd, aren't they? How did you find your manager? <laughs> well, Pete D'Ambra, who's a drummer, um, worked at Red Tape Studios in Sheffield, um, which is like a council-run studio. It's still going today. Fantastic. It's a brilliant place. Um, trains loads of sound engineers and music industry stuff. Um, and this is pre-internet so in a way I think he was kind of like a gatekeeper because he'd answer the phone to record companies and, and so on asking if anything was going on in Sheffield <laughs> and I honestly think they phoned Red Tape and he probably went well I'm in a band um, and I think that's how it started he went, he went to meet them <laughs> in Manchester and they took us to Main Road to see Simple Minds, <laughs> and we were like in the director's box and stuff. My God, that's just—it was so like weird. It was like they were proper wiring and dining us, um, and it seemed legit. You know, again, quite uncomfortable. Yes. Although I was quite happy because the Stranglers were supporting, and I loved the Stranglers. And God, John Javanel was wandering, wandering about the bar, which was great. Um, at that age, I mean, we would have just been trying to steal wine, chocolate, food, even <laughs> even toilet rolls. We were hopeless in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. We would always we'd always do the most hideous things when you look back on it. Like, get your bag, get the booze, get the booze. No one, <laughs> we'll get some toilet roll. We haven't got any. You know, we lived yeah. in those kind of places. Actually, it was terrible. We yeah. were like we were quite feral. Um, yes, but anyway, if we'd gone there. We'd have been really, we'd have been removing furniture. I think. So th- um, I mean, that's gonna that's that's gonna make you think. Oh, these people are serious, isn't it? Yeah, you know, on, we, none of us had any interest at all in Simple Minds. Anyway, this this manager, um, I'll say his name, Peter Williamson, um, kind of. Um, I'm just trying to think how how best how best to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> he was an odd an odd character, but right. he he made he made you believe that he could make things happen because certain things would happen yeah like um we we got to record mouth in savat in glasgow with jim Beatty. again i just couldn't believe it sonic flower groove was one of my favorite things ever at that point or had been when i'd been at, uh, at school yeah um so i was just absolutely over the moon that you know we were going to get we we're going to get jim Beatty. and so that, that you know that happened made that happen um so why wouldn't you make other things happen, you know? Um, yeah, I'd, he's essentially um, a, a fraudster. <laughs> right. So did he did he have any kind of previous, you know, band experience? I mean, or was he just... He thinking... told us. He told us he was a tour manager for Simple Minds. Right. That he'd been in various, he'd been in various bands, I think, and he just told us like loads of crap, basically. And I, it's entirely possible he was in the crew at some point, Simple Minds, because I believe he was married to a cousin of Jim Kerr's. So they might have taken him on to do 
do something. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what he told us. And he also managed to, he got a partner who was this really lovely accountant from Glasgow who we'd managed to hoodwink as well. Um, but yeah, it was all this really like, weird big gestures. Um, yeah, very odd man. And, and he did actually end up going to prison for fraud. God, it's a it's a classic story. Yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the great ones, isn't it? I mean, there was a lot about it, wasn't there? I was just reading a book on Morris Levy, who was one of these guys from the fifties and sixties in New York, and I mean, he'd spent all his life in you know the music industry, but it's just extraordinary, you know. I mean, they're part mafia, part gangster, part. I mean, mostly, you know, if they've got some drug dealing, they're probably going to be quite good at you know. Yeah, they've had that kind of lifestyle. It's all part of the good CV. You put it on your LinkedIn page. But perhaps you'll know. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if we even came from that sort of background. I've literally no idea. You know, but I I just know that that we we got um, in, so we got into the studio to record an album, um, and which which was which was great. The windings in Wales, and essentially what happened was he failed to show up with the money, and we ended up being locked out of the studio without the master tapes and so he did just you, did off. you say you were at um, Rockfields no windings the windings windings oh my god yeah so, so you got the master tape but but you, well, you didn't. No, we, well we didn't get the master tapes all we got were the dats but with some dat recordings remember them right. the dat recordings yeah um and and they impounded a load of our gear all our gear most of which was borrowed from other sources by this <laughs> nefarious manager <laughs> It was a total mess. I mean, a total mess. I slunk back to my job at Burger King um, yeah. after a few weeks, having been waved off. You know, <laughs> like, you know, oh, you know. It was that kind of stone. that was that Spinal Tap moment where you go, oh, like, totally playing, you know, Stonehenge. And he's like, no, we're not going to be. We're not doing Stonehenge. We're, we're just going to forget it. It was just a bad dream. It's God. That's yeah. terrible, isn't it? So then, it I mean, so, so what happens? You, with your not with Burger King, but then what happens with <laughs> at that point? Um, is that the end of the band? Just, you being locked out? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think we tried to limp along for a bit, and then my recollection of it is the major rift rift um, between me and Mark and on one side, and Stephen Pete on the other. Basically, this nightclub, Glaswegian nightclub owner, had offered to lend us. The money to buy the tapes and settle up but it was like a some ridiculous interest and my position was very much well I do not want to be indebted to this guy for the rest of my life yeah <laughs> um yeah. as as was Mark's and the other band members were kind of up for it that's my recollection of yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. and and so that that caused like a massive rift in the band, and we couldn't really carry on after that. Yes. So <laughs> with the, yeah, I know it's, it's tricky. So with lifeless, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm so English. That was tricky. Um, so did life? So was was um, life's a scream? Was that just a kind of the the recording from the DAC tapes that sort of got released? No, life's a scream was recorded in Fon Studios in Sheffield and was an e- EP, and it and it, I think it went out. Um, we actually recorded an album at the Windings. So there's this lost album. Um, that we never got to release. We and, and it was it was so gutting because 
me and Mark were going to fly out to New York and mix it with Bob Mould. That was all we'd spoken to him and everything. It was all in hand. And then the manager just fucked off and left us in the lurch. Oh, my God. It was, it was so good. <laughs> and that's never been seen since? Uh, we were like, no. I mean, we've got, like, we've got dats and stuff, but we've not got, yeah. Yeah, it was basically just lost. God, lost in time. Jeezy, crazy. So <laughs> Although, got... actually, I... I don't know if any, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's such a long time ago. Um, I'm not sure if any of that stuff's online now. I don't know because uh, apparently loads of stuff's appeared on Spotify and stuff since last year. I don't know who put that up. I don't know what that's all about, but. Yeah, the band. I'll have to have a look at it, I guess. God, it's just, yeah, God, that's <laughs> that's terrible. Well, you know. That's... It's a classic, like, it's a shit business, Les McQueen. Yes. You know, it's just, yeah, it, it, it was gutting, blimey. And, and I have to say, I've seen some amazing photographs of the band and it all looked like you were just, you're just there to be, you know, like the next, you know, headlining Glastonbury <laughs> in 1992. Oh, really? What a shame. I, I don't, well, you say that, I, I don't think, I wish someone had said that to us at the time because we might have. So when Britpop appeared in sort of that yeah. 92, 93 period, did you sort of, sort of, as you were watching Top of the Pops going, jeezy crazy, we kind of should have been, you know, look at bloody hell, Pulp, you know, they were, they were the ones that used to sort of annoy us in well, our kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, Pulp are very much one on their own anyway. You know, there was... And 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 came to that sort of success relatively relatively late. I just remember being really pleased for them. Yes, you know? that is nice. It's brilliant. It's a, it's a lovely story, and obviously the whole John Peel thing that that um, yeah, you know, sort of getting the odd John Peel session just kept them kind of going for another year. And then I another... mean, everyone in Sheffield knew Jarvis was a star. Yes, you know, <laughs> just Even. and it and it just grew and grew. And then he um, did it. They, the the stars lined up. He did the. Yeah. Know, someone pulled well, that's out. the thing. If the stars aren't aligned for you, it's not going to happen, is it? It's and, definitely and it take, no. it's, it's not just a case of being. It's not just a case of being good enough, is it? It's, it's a case of look. A lot of things happening. Yeah, I know. You even you two time. wouldn't have survived your manager, would they? They they have <laughs> management. You know, I mean, I mean, it does help to have that person who says, "Look, you know, I can just manoeuvre these bits for you." It's a bit like one of those science fiction films where they go through some asteroid storm and it gets a bit shaky, but a good manager can sort of navigate that because they'll go, yeah, I know what you need to do here. But yeah, it's tricky, actually. So yeah, I'm not sure we needed management at that point. I mean, it did seem a bit grand to me and it and it seemed a bit weird, but you just go along with it, don't you? Because what else is there? And, um, you know. Yeah, it, it was just a very, very odd, odd time. He, he was so bizarre. Like, he'd, he'd drive us to these gigs and then we'd go, in, go into the gig and, like, it's like some little club, little indie club, whatever. Like, take my coat off, be like, save it for the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what for the stage? What are you talking about? So when was the last time? When, um, when was the last time you saw him? Was was there a sort of a part in a, a, I mean, did you have to have some sort of formal or slightly formal moment where you said to, to him, you know, this we're not we're no longer a band. Oh God, you you've, you've slightly frozen. Don't freeze. 
Oh, no, don't do that to me. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, come back. Oh, are you still there? Can you, are you still there? You are still there. Oh, you're frozen. Oh, oh, on it. I think you've come back in. still there lost you there for a bit <laughs> i know that was a bit drastic actually so i don't know if this yeah my god you've actually appeared you know there's two of you on the screen it's quite extraordinary. <laughs> two of you on the screen what's that all about that's amazing should we, should we just carry on yeah so i yeah so there was a bit of a gap so yeah so when was that did you yeah that i mean you know before you you know your next musical moment do you have a moment where you sit down as a band and say that's that you know to quote Jim Morrison this is the end oh I don't I don't remember there being any big ending to it all I think it just sort of fell apart and that was it that was it yeah you just walked yeah. away in silence you just all sort of walked away and me and Mark formed another band um I don't think Steve ever did music again but then he was always much more into the sort of business side of things anyway yes so then you went you went into don't don't sleep dream. No, that was Mark. I we, we were actually um, that was his solo thing. Much later, we were yes. in a band called Bolster. Right, so we formed a band called Bolster, um, which was you know really good fun actually, quite liberating after the Bolivals because you know we were unencumbered by yes. <laughs> any kind of record deal or <laughs> so. Uh, it was great. I've got my, you know, got um, another lass in the band. That was brilliant. Claire Lord, who's a brilliant musician, came and joined the band. Um, yeah, it's fun. That's fantastic. Make you on bass. Yeah, it was. It was really good fun. I and mean, we didn't do a great deal beyond beyond sort of local stuff. Um, I think. But I think by that point we were kind of quite quite sort of disillusioned by it all anyway. And and the. The landscape was changing so much all the time. This is true. This is true. So when when did Bolster sort of run up to? Oh, God. Uh, Early noughties, possibly. The noughties. And then you're now a member of Duck. That that is correct. Yes. But in in the meantime, so in the meantime, um, essentially, me and Mark split up as a couple in sort of mid noughties. Yes. Um, so we then, we were still kind of doing music together up, up to that point. Um, and what did I do? I was in a band called Gangs of Feral Youth <laughs> with my partner, Chris Minor, and my sister, Jane, and our friend on drums. So we did that for a bit. And it, that was just like a local. Yes. We played locally quite a lot, you know. And I say locally, I mean, we did venture to Leeds occasionally. Um, from Sheffield um so that so that was good fun um but that all kind of that all kind of ended uh I can't even tell you what what year that was um because my, my sister got really ill oh, no. um and and then died in 2012 
so it was it was like yeah so it's really hard looking back on stuff as I'm sure you can appreciate because all my music all pretty much all my musical kind of formative years were spent with her we were in bands together and you know so 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 that happened um you know 10 years on I can kind of look back now fondly um but it's taken it's taken a while you know it's taken a while to sort of get there God, it's hard um, though. It's really, I mean, that's the strange thing about aging, isn't it? You sort of, you, the things that you focus on as you get older are so different to what you had the focus on when you were in your younger days. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. um, yes, one's own health, your family, your parents, it's just like, exactly. Oh, it's yeah exactly weird so yes you, you can't you can't spend too much time wasting well you, you can well, well this is where I like to look forward to, to what the next project is you see and, and I'm not being so keen up to now in, in, in looking back no um, I don't blame you <laughs> and I want to reminisce about the the 80s I know Shame. yeah let's I go know. back to the 80s that was great <laughs> As I said, it was different. There was a slightly different landscape, wasn't there? We didn't have those other kind of issues. I suppose that's the one thing I realised about. Um, like I said, I wouldn't say it's you know rose tinted, but you just went, oh yeah, we didn't have to sort of focus on those things and worry about those things. We had other things we worried about, but now you look at it and think, God, that wasn't that much to worry about then. But well, obviously, well it, was when... our, well, it was our youth, wasn't it? You know, and youth. that's always good. That's hopefully is always going to be like a magical time. Um to people so you you know you look back on it with that fondness and that yes. you know you didn't have all that extra stuff yeah if you were lucky going on so with dark is that a band yes. that, that's just been formed quite recently um we actually started it in in 2016 i was i was in another band called fire suite again with with my partner chris and that that sort of limped along probably longer than it should have done as well for me at least um and then chris started um modifying um a synth like an old synth that he got yes because he was making pedals and stuff and he just got this amazing noise out of this old Casio, like it's really dirty like kind of noise out of this out of this old synth we were like we've got to do something with that and then we've got an old drum machine and yet yeah, we, we just basically messed about at home and recorded our first stuff at home and some people seem to like it so we were like oh well we'll we'll do this as well um then got like an old mate of mine in and to, to be in the band she then left we've now got another mate evangeline in and it's so much fun it's like the best fun i've ever had in any band god that's ever. fantastic this is good because and- we're part of that sort of diy scene which is like really really like inclusive and lovely um we feel like we're part of a part of a community we're involved with a diy space in sheffield called hatch if anyone wants to look look that up um yeah it's we've also had like um stuff put out by record labels um so our second album so we were self-released on Bandcamp and stuff up to the second album that was put out by Hell Hath No Fury Records on CD initially. And then uh, in 20, beginning of 2020, I had a vinyl release on Reckless Yes. Oh, yeah. This is all very um, exciting. Well, yeah, exactly. And so I'm I'm sort of buzzing with it at the moment. It's it's good. But of course, the, the pandemic, we, <laughs> you know, we put this, so this album came out and then we were starting to like get some really good, good gigs like playing with 
who do we play like Big Joni, um, lots of really really good good bands, and um, and then the pandemic happened, <laughs> so we thought we'd be like be able to go off and 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 tour and promote it, and it didn't really didn't really happen. Um, but you that know, is, that is frustrating, isn't it? Actually, yes, everyone's in the same boat though, aren't they? It's not like it was just bad luck for us; it was bad luck for everybody. So, oh yeah, I mean, everyone really I think everyone's quite traumatised, especially when they had that yes. year lined up and thought, right, if I can do this and we do this, you know, we'll basically pay some, you know, the a few bills off and we can keep, you know, the project that we've been working on, you know, it's been worthwhile. And it's like, God, it's not been worthwhile. We we haven't been able to pay off. <laughs> so it's quite traumatised. It was no, it was still worthwhile. Believe me, I've never paid any bills off with anything from music. So... <laughs> That's that's fine. That's, that's no, fine. That's I know. I, I suppose that's the that's the tricky thing. But you've done sort of two albums of stock as well, haven't you? Yeah. So this is going really fantastic. Was, so is great. it the case that when you were in lockdown, were you still? Did you feel quite creative during that period? No, was, not at all. Not at all. Didn't write. We had like a really creative period from twenty twenty sixteen up until lockdown. We were involved. We did loads of stuff. There's loads of like little sideline stuff that we did we were always involved in some kind of musical project and then as soon as lockdown came along um I haven't been able to write, <laughs> to write a thing um so I'm hoping that comes back because we really need to work on the next duck album so um I, I personally have found it very detrimental to any kind of creativity I think it was um the whole situation is just so heartbreaking and um yeah I mean like my nephew worked in a care home and in those sort of first few weeks sorry this is so grim (laughs) first few weeks it felt like like they were just body bag after body bag coming out and it was covered up you know and uh, this sort of old old folks home and it's the whole thing is so grim and has been so badly managed and yeah I don't know how, I don't know, loads of people have done, fair mm. play to them, they've, they've managed to still be creative and still keep their head above water, but I've, I found it really difficult, as, as a lot of people have, I don't know, what, what do you think, have you found it? No, I think most people just couldn't be asked. you know, they just found it, they just kind of <laughs> felt completely gutted, you know, there were, you know, yeah. lots yeah. of people from all over the world have just went, Ugh, I can't you know I haven't you know the guitar there I haven't touched it I haven't no. the, you know people who were just like I've been hoping you know I've often thought as a sort of a thing that a lot, a lot of people said you know I really wanted to have that kind of space and free time you know? <laughs> yeah. and then you kind of wish for it and it happens and then think no actually this isn't and then and then your brain is not playing ball at all because you can't think of a single thing yeah and there's yeah we're we're starting we're starting to again now things are opening up a bit we're starting to um write some stuff um but i think and i can't wait when we played live a bit and there was you know like someone in new york who put on a lot of clubs you know club nights and brand venues the 80s you know and it was just like he said it was just so brilliant it was so easy because it was like what you know probably the first band he ever put on was something like Guns N' Roses and from then his yeah. career just as a promoter was just fantastic and then seriously you know has got no work no job and no venue anymore at the moment and doesn't know if that scene will come back yeah. in New York it's just like 
my god you know that was you know, that was what i had done no it, it's I, horrible it's decimated huge swathes of, of the music industry i mean we're outside the music industry as it as it were because because we're all do it yourself and um just put gigs on at this little place in in sheffield that you know, it doesn't cost an awful lot to keep going. Um, it wasn't our livelihood. So yeah. I think that must have just been absolutely, it's just been dreadful for people whose livelihood it was, you know. Absolutely. So with the record label that you, I don't know if you're on it still, but Hell Have No Fury Records, which are based in, is this one that you're still on or is this? No, kind of no, a- they've actually wound down now. Um but Hell, Hell Hath No Fury, yeah. It's, it's basically Holly, who's great. is in a great punk band called Burning Flag, if anyone wants to check that out. Um, she put it out on CD, and and from that, Reckless Yes kind of fell in love with the record. And um, basically, we licensed it to them for a, for a vinyl right. um, issue. Um, but it's, it's all very... Um, so different from the old days <laughs> it's all very ethical you know it's all very transparent um they obviously put the money to manufacture the records and then once that's paid off it's 50 50 um you know it's the, simpli- the simplicity of it is just so different. yeah yeah <laughs> there's no there's no one um, yeah. a lawyer <laughs> you don't have to yeah no technical jargon that will confuse you so that's great yeah. actually so yeah i mean if you could have said something to your 16 or 18 year old self starting out is there anything that you would have thought god yes i'd have whispered that in their ear definitely or not you might have said no i'd changed nothing it was all marvelous um well i mean it's hard to say isn't it because you know I- where I am now I'm reasonably well I'm happy you know um enjoying music and and life in general um I would say if something feels wrong in your gut then get out (laughs) it sounds really sinister but you can walk away from things you don't have to stay in things that are bad for you that, that make you sad <laughs> you yes, can go no, off and do other things I think that would be great advice to anybody to be honest yes it's it sounds like a joy division song just walk away <laughs> inside it's true I did, have, I did have those goth beginnings you know it's all it's all coming out I know did you go to the exhibition in Manchester last year the the factory records one see I didn't I did pop over and see it. It was quite amazing. But anyway, yeah, no, it's good. I'm so pleased you're still making music. And um, yes, I will check out. And I'm loving it. Yeah. And um, is it, you know, is it easily available, you know, all the music? It is. Very easily available. It's on on all the the usual platforms. I think we prefer Bandcamp. I think that's a really good platform. People can, I mean, will you put like links and yes. things when when this goes out so I'll, I'll send you those so look in the show notes basically oh, for, yeah. for links and things that would be um, really good actually yes I'll do that and then people can sort of go and link in and find it actually which is brilliant yeah do that because <laughs> um it would be good because often I mean yeah I'm, I'm not too bad at finding these things but sometimes you think oh I'm getting confused oh don't, well, you know you can be looking forever can't you I'll just send you some links it's fine <laughs> yes I know once or twice well once or twice you sort of look for something you know put in duck 
I once looked, I remember thinking, oh, I remember that band from Leeds called Girls at Our Best. And I Googled it and it was like, oh my God, I think I've just walked into a porn site. You know, I had to sort of <laughs> yeah, go you have in to be so like, careful. <laughs> and you think, God, I don't know. Girls at Our Best, indie band from Leeds. It's like, oh, that's better. But, um, you yeah. know, Girls at Our Best. But your not... search terms. Yes, right, you have to I really get them. Don't be too innocent with your search terms with bands like Girls at Our Best. Like, wow, shit. <laughs> it's too much. Anyway, look, I will check that out. I'll, I'll be really excited and curious. I suppose, um, you know, I've, I suppose I, I'd sort of been listening to the, 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 the band more than the, yeah, trying to sort of locate the, the sort of solo stuff. But it would be great to hear it, actually. So um, thank you. And thanks, you know, I know. Yeah, well, I'm interest, interested to know what, what you, you know, if you yes. like it or not. That'd be, that'd well, be I know, it'd be good. It'd be good. And uh, is it on, I know it's on an awful platform, but is it on Spotify as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's on all, it's on, it's everywhere. So you can listen to it on that if you want. Yes, I will. I know. <laughs> But well, you can I, actually order the order the record from Bandcamp, you see. So that's like that's yeah, the best that way. Yeah, Spotify. I know. You feel guilty about Spotify and Amazon now, so that's you know, Jesus. Well, I think you're probably someone that buys stuff as well. So I don't think it's a terrible thing as long as you <laughs> yes. also buy buy the music. Buy. Well, I'm pleased that people like you are making music. That's the main thing. And oh, it's well, great, thank you. And it's great that you're you know. And like I said, it you know, it's so lovely that most of the bands who had their moment and doesn't always end that well um have sort of thought oh you know i'm just enjoy it i'm just going to enjoy it for what it is and just have a nice time yeah. with nice people and we'll do it like this That's... and we'll play the odd gig and that you know i don't really i don't want any i don't I want mean, to disturb like the that, rest of what... my life yeah well no no it does i mean it is important it is really important to me i mean one thing i realized when i didn't do it very much like when my kids were, were really young for for a little bit and i just thought well i i've just it's something i've got to do something i need to do um i can't really be i can't really be without it now so indeed i think we're going to leave it there i know nice editing anyway look a massive thank you to sarah griffiths for giving me the time for that one time member of the bowl weevils and now currently part of duck indeed if you want to find out any more information um yes just google you'll find it and also yeah um yeah if you want to contact me for some nice reason you can on facebook Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show. And also all these have been archived. You can find those on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. True story. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.